The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you are doing well. This morning, we get to continue in 1 Timothy. Last week, we made it all the way through the end of chapter 4. This morning, we get to dip our toes into chapter 5. We have a relatively, and by relatively, I mean we have a short section of scripture this morning. Two verses, only two. Only two verses this morning. Um, But listen, before we get to the verses, I want to call something out for us. Uh, to get us kind of expecting what's to come. There are some texts in Scripture that as we come to them, it takes, you know, you got to dig, got to go deep, right? You got to unpack things. You got to parse out verbs. You got to look at the Koine Greek and look at commentaries and cross-references and unpack these really difficult ideas. In fact, anytime I get a chance, I put this Scripture up, but... Sometimes there are times when we echo the words of Peter in first or in Second Peter 3.16 when he says of the things that Paul wrote, he says, there are some things in them, that's Paul's letters, that are just hard to understand. How applicable is that? Like there are some texts that that's what it is. They're just, whoo, they take time. They take community to study. But here's the thing this morning. Our text this morning is just not one of those texts. Our text this morning is uh, you don't really have to dig much. You can kind of step back and say, well, there it is. That's about as clear as it gets. Um, We look at our text. You don't have to pull out the Greek or the dictionaries or the commentaries. We'll do a little bit of that this morning. But here's the thing. There are some texts when it's just clear and it's just right in front of you. That's our text this morning. It's clear. It's right in front of us. But here's the thing I wanted to get us to see here. I want to put this out before us. Um, Although our text is easy, maybe easy to understand, it points to something that may be far more difficult to apply. This text points to something incredibly important, and I think we're going to feel that. Um... And it points to something that can be so extremely difficult and challenging to practice. And I think, again, that as we walk through this, you're going to feel that as well. Um, I want to encourage you, before I read these two short verses, listen, God is about to paint through his words something that I long for. I crave this. I want this. I, I believe that this is something that so many of us long to see. And it's something that we're going to see that is so counter to our culture. This text excites me. It's simple, but oh, does it excite me. And it makes me want to ask, like, what if we live this one out? So I'm going to read it. As I do, I want to encourage you, challenge you to just imagine if we here at Stone Oak Bible Church lived this one out. Imagine it, all right? 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 2 says this. 
Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's pray together. God, we come to your word and we pray that you would give us eyes to see. But so much more than that this morning, we pray that you would give us the ability to carry this out, to live this out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take these two verses. We're going to unpack them a little bit, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time applying them. That's where we're headed this morning. Um, As I said, it'll be fairly straightforward to to unpack, actually. Starts with this, do not rebuke an older man. Your translation may say rebuke harshly. Your translation may say uh, rebuke sharply or impatiently rebuke. You might see some adjectives to the word rebuke. Um, But here's the coolest thing. This particular word for rebuke is found nowhere else in the New Testament. This is the one and only time that this word appears in the New Testament. And here's the thing. I don't want you to think, when you see this word rebuke, I don't want you to imagine like a super gentle and loving father pulling his kids over and rebuking them in love and gentleness. I don't want you to picture like a good friend who's just calling out your blind spots and saying, listen, I love you and I see this or that. I don't want you to think of a brother just pulling you off to the side and lovingly just saying, graciously saying, hey, I see this in your life. No, no. The particular word here used for rebuke is what commentators, how they'll translate it is a verbal pounding. I loved that. That was how the commentators dealt with this one. A verbal pounding. It is lashing out. It is letting them have it ripping into them. That's what rebuke is. That's what I want you to have in mind here with this word. Paul says, don't do that. Don't lash out, cut with your words, put them in their place, harshly deliver a verbal pounding. Don't do that. Instead, or but, our text says, encourage. Encourage. So um, your text may say exhort, your translation may say, uh, speak with him or appeal to him. And, and then it, and it says, how, how are we to speak to them? As you would a father. So not harsh, but gentle. Not sharp, but kind. This is a command not to rebuke, but to encourage. Um, it's not so much the content of what we're saying, Right? Um, In so many ways, it's so much more than that. It's about the way that we say it and the heart that we say it from. In other words, this is not, I don't want you to hear this and think that this is a command to never say hard things or have difficult conversations that you know you need to have, okay? That's not what this is saying. Um, This is not to avoid all difficult conversations, only positive, only happy, all the time. Everything is awesome. That's not what this is. That's not healthy for anyone or any family or any community. What this is, is a call to respect, a call to dignity, a call to speak truth in love, a call to honor each other with how we speak to each other. And um, to help us wrap our minds around what that could look like, Paul uses 
imagery in our text of a family, of a family, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. Don't verbally pound an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Older men as a father, then younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. One more thing I want to unpack before we get to the hard work of application. That final three words, in all purity. Um, It says, speak to, treat, view younger women as sisters in all purity. Keep in mind that this was Paul writing to a young man, a young pastor named Timothy. We have no indication that Timothy was married could have been. We have no indication that he was, though. And so Paul was writing this, appealing to him to walk in purity. This is without question pointing to sexual purity, but it's more than that. It's pointing to just moral purity as you walk with your congregation. Um, This is going back to 1 Timothy 3 where, where Paul says, hey, elders, you need to be above reproach. This is above reproach in all purity. And before we move forward, church, how important are those three words, in all purity? Um, How important is this command that Paul gives Timothy? I will not cite examples this morning. Um, There are far too many to count or even to remember, unfortunately, of leaders and pastors who were not above reproach who fell into sexual temptation with those they were put in charge of to shepherd, who God called them to lead. There have been horrific, painful stories, attempted cover-ups, horrible things that come to light, destroying families, destroying church families. It's awful. Um, And I couldn't help but just, as I was reading this, just thinking like, wow, the same temptations, the same problems that we see in our news feeds today are the very same problems that we see here that Paul is addressing to a church and to a pastor over 2,000 years ago. There is truly nothing new under the sun. Nothing. The enemy uses the same tried and true methods to trick us and tempt us. Same ones. Um, to kill and destroy our flesh and our sin nature. And it's just as dangerous today as it was then. There's nothing new under the sun. Countless ministries and ministries, ministry leaders have fallen to this, destroying the representation and the witness of the gospel in so many lives. And, and here's the thing. Here's why I pause with this. That is not the heart of God for his church. It's not the heart of God for his people, his family, and it leads, let's shift gears, application. This where it gets hard. Leads to the first application. And this one is big, and we build on this. That we would speak and treat each other as family. That is, older men as fathers, younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. Treat each other as family. Now, you might hear that, and you might think, oh, No. You don't know my family. You do not want that, right? We are super crazy and dysfunctional. You don't want that. Listen, if that is you, 
I genuinely, I don't, I'm not saying this lightly. I am, I am, I'm sorry you've experienced broken, brokenness like that in your earthly family. First and foremost, as we come to this, we need to understand that as we think about our God, that our heavenly father is perfect and he's perfect in love and patient. He is kind and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And his faithfulness is new every morning, meaning he's not abandoning us. Um, He has saved us through Jesus, forgiven you, redeemed you, set you free, adopted you into his family. So in this world, we experience brokenness and sin. Um, By the way, the church is not a collection of perfect people. You know you, and so you know that's true. Um, We are a collection of people who are being perfected in the power of God. Praise God for that, but we are not there yet. And, And as a church, we have to deal with sin and brokenness. This is true. But as the church, we are also the family of God, a family that is eternal, a brotherhood, sisterhood that lasts forever. And it makes me think of something Jesus uh, said. And there are so many times in when you read your Bible that things Jesus said in particular just blow your mind. This is one of those times that just, what? Um, Jesus is teaching and ministering. And while he's doing that, um, his mom and his family, they weren't able to get to him because he was like doing the work and they couldn't physically get to him. And so some guy comes up to Jesus, and we see this, this story playing out in Matthew 12, 48. Um, Jesus replies to the man who told him, this is the man who came to him and said, hey, by, by the way, Jesus, your mom's out there. She can't get in. Your, your family's out there. They can't get in. And, and Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? This is not a slam against his mom or his brothers, Okay. And in stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Church, Jesus here is pointing to the fact that in him, we have a new spiritual family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the church is a family And this calls us to this mutual care and mutual respect for each other. Why? Because we're a family. Paul says it directly in Galatians 6.10. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone. He doesn't leave it there, though. He says everyone, but he doesn't leave it there. He gives one extra clarification, especially those who are of the household of faith. Why would he say that? Because we're family. We are family. Our text calls us today to understand that we are family, to see each other as family, to treat each other as family, not harshly, not sharply, not a verbal pounding to one another, but to speak truth and love with gentleness, kindness, grace, and respect because we are family. Older men, let's see them as fathers. Older women, let's see them, treat them, speak to them as mothers. Younger men as brothers, little brothers. Younger women as sisters. This is our call. And so much of this comes down to a perspective change. Like, how do we see each other? If you were to look around this room, you don't need to do it now. You can if you want. But if you were to look around this room, what would you see? For some of us, I, I, I know, I know that if you were to do that, you would look around and see row after row of 
eh, strangers. If you're new here, by the way, let's work on fixing that, okay? Um, but listen, if that's you, really the only way to apply this text, it's, it's, it's literally impossible to do this, without stepping into community, knowing each other, being known by each other. Um, and, and as crazy as this sounds, you don't need a program for that. You don't need an app for that. Introduce yourself. Like, people like to eat, go to lunch. People who know what's, what's up, they like coffee. Go to coffee, like, do that. It's have a play date with your kids. Listen, this is like human interaction 101. That's what families do. So take the first step. And, and if you're an introvert... I, I know what you've, you're feeling. I am too. If you're an extrovert, help us out, okay? Um, this is both for the introvert and the extrovert. This is our call. Take the first step. To go from an, of an, uh, to go from an auditorium of relative strangers to a family. It takes us. It takes us taking the first step. Listen, um, I wasn't going to do this originally, but I think it's important it's kind of my way because I get to do this to just do a family thank you for a moment. Um, being a pastor, being a pastor's wife, a pastor's family um, can be difficult. Um, it can be difficult because it's hard to feel like you're a part of a real community. Um, it can be difficult for a lot of reasons, but, um, and it's not just, like me, I, I talk to so many other pastors that I get to just be in life with, and so many of us struggle to have real community in the churches that God has placed us. In some ways, pastoring can feel like we are shopkeepers. We're keeping the house so that the family can gather. And when you do that, it's crazy how you always feel like you're just outside of it. can feel like we're separate. It can feel like we're lonely even as the family gathers, um, being with community but never truly feeling a part of it. Um, and I've got to just tell you, church, that um, you have done so much to change that for Candace and I and for my boys. And in fact, um, several months ago, we found out we were pregnant again, and it was a huge surprise. We thought we were done with that stage of life, and diapers were behind us, but we were wrong. And uh, God blessed us, and we had given away all of our baby stuff, sold the minivan, like, that ship has sailed, here we go. And here we go. Um, and here's the thing, for years, Kenneth and I have felt as though we've been placed here to care for the congregation that God is bringing and to care for people and to pray for them when they're hurting, and to care for them with whatever they're going through, and to come around those who are sick, and to pray for them who are facing pain and difficulty, celebrate with all of the babies that are being born. I love the amount of babies, and we get to celebrate, and we've been front row of this. It's been awesome, but I don't know how exactly to say this, but over the past couple months, you have straight up turned all of our life around. You've turned that whole paradigm on its head. And um, 
You have come around us. You have prayed for us. You have cared for us. You have celebrated for us. You have been so generous to us. And Candace and I, we have realized that we are being cared for by our family. And um, thank you. It is, it, is, it is awesome. And this is the picture that came to my mind as I've been pouring in this text, and it was overwhelming this week. I said as pastors, it feels like we can be housekeepers, but um, right now, I don't feel like that. I feel like we're just down in here being cared on by the family. And I know, I know my wife does as well, and I want to thank you for being our family and for living this out, for caring for us in, in ways. And now, are we perfect in this? No. Um, in fact, my heart hurt because I'm sure there are people in our church that haven't felt that. The way Candace and I have just really been blessed to have felt that this past couple months. There are ways that we need to grow, but listen, that is why a text like this is so important. To call us just to stop seeing ourselves as strangers passing but to see ourselves as family and to treat each other as family, to mourn together, to celebrate together, to care for each other, to accept others and care, to allow other people to care for us. Some people, some, some of you are good at caring for others, but it's way harder to accept it when others care for you. But this is what it's gonna take if we're gonna be a family, to live this out. Um, and I wanna say one more thing before moving on to application number two. Uh, I don't know about your family growing up. Um, and in fact, it reminds me of all the times that I get to sit with couples in premarital counseling and just hear their stories and where they came up from. And here's the thing, how they dealt with conflict in their families. Some of you, um, you might be used to, used to uh, sweeping things under the rug a little bit. Um, avoiding and never dealing with problems. Others of you, you might be used to confrontation and it's explosive. Like, here's the thing, we, we tend to make new problems by the way we try to handle old ones. And uh, if that's you, you're not alone. It's like, it's human. And, and we're all different, we come from different backgrounds and yet we're plopped together here as a church family with all of those different ways of handling things. If we're gonna be a healthy family, it means that we deal with the issues that come up. Families don't run away, healthy ones. Healthy families don't avoid each other or verbally pound or abuse each other to use this text. We respect and love and honor and treat each other like family. And you may be here and there may be some difficult conversations that you need to have with someone in your family. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Or you should run. What it means is we're a family and families lean in when others might run away. So I want to encourage you, speak truth and love, gentleness, kindness, respect, treat each other as family because we are family in Christ. Application number one. Application number two, I want to move a little bit into a, a, a tougher part of this and that is we should be a diverse family. We're diverse in a lot of different ways. Um, but there's one way that this text brings out that we need to wrestle with, and that is age. 
just as a, a family is a collection of different people with different ages, right? You have your kids and your teens and your, your young adults and your middle-aged adults and your older adults, your elders, your grandparents, great-grandparents. It's all ages coming together. That's what makes a family. We're linked by something far beyond our age. We're linked by family. Um, my fear is that in the American church, we might be able to try to bypass that. What I mean is that we face this temptation toward what's called homogeny. Homogeny, big word that just means you like to be with people that look like you. That sound like you, smell like you, dress like you, from the same socioeconomic status as you, like what you like, do what you do, uh, drive what you drive, dress the way you dress, have the same number of kids in the same relative age group as you. Uh, we like people that listen to the same kind of music as us and watch the same kind of shows and movies. And I want, I want to just call this out. There is nothing wrong with that. Like, we need people in our lives that are in the same stage as us. We need that. Walking through similar things, dealing with similar struggles. Listen, that is awesome. There's nothing wrong with that unless... That's only and exclusively what you let in. That's all you have. Listen, you are missing something so valuable in your life. Um, you're missing those who maybe are a little bit further down the road than you that can pay some of that dumb tax for you, let you know what lies ahead. Um, you're missing those who may be younger that you can come around and help and who you can learn from. You're missing such a valuable part of life and church. Listen, this is vital to our health. And, and ultimately today, when I said that I, my fear is that the American church is missing this, is I think it's easy for us to look at the church and say, okay, you're a young family, this church or this church? Got you over here. Um... <laughs> If you're a family, if you're a couple with no kids, this church really good. Singles over here. Um, if you are an older couple, empty nesters, they're really good at that over here. Um, listen, we can start dividing it up through age demographic. What happens when we do that? Well, I believe it's detrimental to our discipleship. Why? Because we need each other. We need young people, we need older people, we need discipleship, we need those pouring into us, those we pour down into, and all of the many shoulder to shoulder that come around us as we do it. Amen. We need this, and we, we harm ourselves when we step out of this. This isn't the only text that calls us to this in the New Testament. If you want another one that you want to dig into detail, Titus 2. Don't have time because I've got enough here. Titus 2. Um, but older people, we need you. You have a place here. Those with, kid, with uh, grown kids, empty nesters, listen, we need you. You have a place here. Families, we need you. Young families, we need you. Singles, we need you. Students, we need you. High schoolers, middle schoolers, we need you. Kids, you're not in here, but we need you. Young kids, we need them. Um, we're not just a church of one age group. That's what I'm getting at. Just as a family is not a family of one age group. 
And so this means that we need to learn how to treat each other and love each other, respect each other, and speak to each other. And I want to be very clear here that this is not easy at all. Um, the, the age barrier is not an easy one to overcome. I will never forget a story that I heard. Um, if you have been in a story like this, I promise I'm not telling your story. This, unfortunately, I've heard multiple times, but I'm thinking of a story here that I will never forget of a small group of primarily older people who decided we want to branch out. We want to bring in some young people in our group. Oh, they had no idea what they were asking for. So they found a younger couple with kids, they invited them, and, and it was awesome. This, this younger family responded and said, we'll go, and, and, and here's the thing, though. They went, and they were meeting at a house where every single surface and every single wall was just filled with priceless, valuable, and highly breakable things. The young couple literally showed up, and from the moment they got there, spent every moment corralling their kids in utter fear running after toddlers, um, doing the whole dive, grab the arm, right? Like we've been there to stop their toddlers from breaking everything and ruining this group. And the whole group, the whole feel of the group just changed like this. It's just totally different. Where the deep conversations go, we don't get to have them anymore because it's being constantly interrupted. Um, it was chaos. And, and after the group was over, everyone felt like they needed a nap. Every one of them. After the couple left, a group of the original members stayed back and talked in the kitchen, and they talked about how things were different back then and uh, how kids used to be better behaved. Parents would never let their kids do that in our day. What are happening to these parents, right? The younger couple gets in their car, and they're like, well, that was exhausting, the wife says, did you just feel like everyone hated us? Was frustrated with us that whole time? The husband said, well, at least nothing's broken. Let's find a different group that has some kids. Where at least if it's broken, we can blame another kid, right? Um, <laughs> what happened in this group? Here's the thing. Um, very good intentioned group of older believers collided with a good intentioned young family. And the difficulty of those two realities collided. I'm not saying there's an easy solution. I'm not condemning the young parents, their kids. I'm not condemning this small group. I'm not. What I am saying is that this is challenging and it will take sacrifice on both sides. It's going to take selflessness on both sides. And um, let me tell you, it is worth the sacrifice. Um, in other words, it's not going to happen naturally or passively. Like, uh, this is going to require us to be active and intentional. And again, it's worth it. Why? Because we are family. If you look at our text again, don't rebuke an older man. Encourage him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. This requires us to interact with people who are not your age. Don't rush past that. Like, it requires us to be in multi-generational communities. We can't do this. We cannot be a family. We cannot treat each other like family without interaction, interacting with each other. 
I've used this uh, example before. I think it's really valuable, though. I love communion that we do this every week. I love coming to the tables every week. I love it for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons that I really love that we get to do this um, is that every week we go to the tables. Uh, wealthy people and poor people go. Tall people and short people go. All ethnicities, the CEO standing in line with a broke college student. I love it. We have young and old coming to the tables like a big family. I saw my boys cut in front of three people, and they all smiled because we're family. That's what happens in living in kitchens, right? And here's the thing. Uh, we don't have kids' tables in this family. Like, we don't have the two up front are for the adults, the kids. If you could, go to the back. We don't have that. We have four tables, and we come to them as families. And I love what that signifies. We need each other. Young people, listen, you are responsible to do your part. Older people, you are responsible to do your part. And if you aren't sure which category you fall into... Um, ask a friend or a neighbor. They'll be able to help you figure out where to categorize yourself. Um, but the point is you're responsible to do your part. We're called to be family. Treat each other as family, diverse as a family. And it leads me to the third point, which is that tongue, our mouth. We need to speak to each other with gentleness and respect. Respectful communications. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Listen, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we don't have an excuse, none. We don't have an excuse. One of the most important life lessons that you could learn, no matter how old you are, is to control your tongue. You never outgrow that struggle, do you? Um, let nothing corrupt come from our mouths, only that which builds up. In other words, that we would be gracious and appropriate. I was thinking about this, and I can think of at least three arenas of life where that's very difficult to do. Number one, Facebook, online. I don't know what it is about thinking that we're anonymous, but my goodness, we tend to say things typing that we would never say to a human face-to-face. -face. Um, it's like that computer screen just like removes responsibility, right? It's crazy. That's arena number one. Arena number two, I think of is behind the wheel of a car. I don't know what it is. Like, people will scream and make gestures, be aggressive when they're behind the wheel of a vehicle. They're going to say things that they would never say to another human face-to-face. -face. It's like once the human gets into the vehicle and closes the door, they stop being human and they start being an object. So we let them have it, right? Um, we, uh, we feel no remorse as we rebuke. And I'm using rebuke in the sense that our text is using it. Um, that verbal pounding. But listen, both of those arenas are online and behind the wheel are anonymous arenas. They're, they're, they're arenas. They're not face-to-face. -face. But there's one more arena that I thought of. It's really hard to, to control our tongues 
And it's really the opposite. The third arena is the family. Because of maybe the familiarity, because we know them better and deeper than we know anyone else, because we're fully comfortable with them, we say the craziest things to each other as a family. Um, If you have a sibling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Chances are you have said things to your brother or your sister that you would never say to another human being. Why? Because they're family. And the point here is that we, if we are a family, which we are, it's going to be sometimes even more difficult to guard that crazy little tongue. It's one of the reasons why community is so hard, because the longer you stick around in community, the more likely it is that you are going to experience some kind of conflict. Whether you cause it, sometimes you do, or you bump against someone else who causes it, which will happen, it's hard, it's messy, but again, church, it is worth it. And if we're going to do this well, we must guard our tongues. We must speak to each other with respect and with grace, building each other up, even in and through difficult conversations. Because we're a family. That's what healthy families do. We treat each other as a family. We are a diverse family. And we watch how we speak to each other as a family. And listen, um, before I get to the final point, listen, you may be here right now. And uh, you may just feel the sting of the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life right now. Maybe you're here and you have said something to a brother or sister. Maybe you're here, you're dealing with hurt by something another brother or sister has said to you. Listen, in this moment is a good time to just confess that, to repent, and to start toward the path of forgiveness. What that means is go to your brother or sister this week. It's gonna be hard, but it's worth it because we're family and Paul is calling us to treat each other and to act like we are family, word and action. And it leads me to our fourth and final application. And that is our gospel witness. Um, Our witness to the watching world and to each other that we are in Christ. Listen, our family is our gospel witness. Paul is putting this before us in two simple short verses, how we are able to best proclaim the truth of Jesus, that we are in Jesus, how we are able to best tell the watching world that we are followers of Jesus. It's like what Jesus says in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, what is this? It's the love you have for each other. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is crystal clear. The world is going to know that you belong to him, that your faith is authentic, that you are truly a follower of Jesus. How are they going to know? It's not just by what you say you believe. It's not just by you telling them. They're going to know, all people are going to know that you're a follower of Jesus because of and through the way that you love each other. Bring this to our text today. The world will know that you, we are authentic followers of Jesus through the love we have and show for one another as family. Family 
loving each other. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. This is the way we're able to showcase the gospel to a broken and watching world. We cannot afford to keep compartmentalizing our families. In a world of strife and polarization, church, this becomes even more clear and even more important. Love each other, excel in loving each other. How countercultural is that? But it's the heart of God for his people. We're family and we're invited, no matter what your background is, you're invited into the family of God through Jesus Christ. You belong. You have a spiritual family. Spiritual dads and moms and brothers and sisters. Earlier, when like an entire third of our church got up and left to go to kids, listen, it's not just the parents who should care about those kids who walked out of the room. It's not just them who should care for them and pray for them. It's the family. We should be praying for them and supporting them praying for our families. This is a picture of the heart of God, the family of God, loving and respecting and supporting each other in Christ and building each other up, being on mission with each other as one big, crazy, awesome family. I want to I close this morning um, with a prayer that is uh, literally found in Scripture. It's a prayer that literally praise this over us as a church. And so I want to invite you, um, would you stand with me this morning as we close? This is a prayer that Paul gives us in Romans. And um, listen, as I pray this, as I read this over us, I want to encourage you to pray this with me. To pray that this happens in our church. To pray that this happens in Stone Oak Bible Church. To pray that we will be known for this. Romans 15, verse 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen.